Fitz, I'm going to click on you and then you can start talking. What? Oh, sorry. I was working on something else. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. And we are live. Yay! Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. And there was Sorry, much rejoicing. Guys. Sorry, guys. That's this guy's fault. <laughs> I screwed up. I clicked what I should have uh clapped tab, a tab <laughs> all right and you were really mad too oh man i was so mad i i i'm not on the youtube channel and i'm hoping people will move over in fact i'm gonna i'm gonna give the show to fitz in a second so i can start typing and and, and sending people over here but uh, just so for those of you who are tuning in right now um google hangouts is leaving uh for this chat thing and so that's not for next month so what happened was though when i started clicking on to get in the the uh the video here, it, like normal, <laughs> it wouldn't let me in. And it kept saying, you need an encoding software. And I was like, well, I kind of knew things were going that direction, but I I wasn't prepared for it. So I started looking at all this software and, and none of it I found was for multi-users, the kind of stuff we do here, which is you have three different channels. So in any case, yeah, Terry uh, Terry was listening to me. I was quite peeved and I was desperately trying to download stuff, but hey, we just missed it. We just, uh, sorry, we just missed the deadline. We, it's now 12.28, so it, it's a late lunch. and self-imposed uh, deadline. <laughs> anyway, that's, kind. That's, that's enough about that. I'm just so glad that we got this working. So I'll start sending links out. And uh, Fitz, I'm gonna click on you and then you can start talking. What? Oh, sorry. I was working on something else. I... <laughs> it's, it's your show, buddy. My show? Yeah. Well, All right. Not... Well, welcome back to Tank Modeling with Fitzwalker. Uh, here I'm working on a Merkava Mark III. With... Oh, okay, never mind. So, everybody, hello. Welcome back to the RC Roundtable. And we are back on YouTube, mostly, I guess. Get your headphones on there, Lee. Yeah. Can you hear us now? Oh, I need to get to... Uh... Yeah, I can. I can hear you. I think I'm on my speaker, though. I need to get my headset plugged back. Can in. you hear me? Can you hear me? Okay. Uh, my I may have the wrong mic on. We can hear you. You're good. You're good. Yep. Can continue. You, can, can you hear this? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> good mic. Good mic. All right. Well, welcome to RC Roundtable again, uh, everybody. Thanks for joining us on YouTube this time. It's been, I guess, a little too long since we were last on YouTube. A couple of months, I think right or so or yeah, more probably. three yeah. it's been a while so uh we have a a great show planned for you everyone today we have some uh, neat stuff we're going to talk about hopefully you'll find it interesting and uh, informative and most importantly enjoyable so uh if you are uh, watching now and uh, please remember to smash that like button and i'll bug you again later on about that so uh, what's up? Do we have anything on you guys' minds before we get started or as we get started? We are started. Yeah, uh, we are started. Uh, I I want to ask, Lee, are you wearing a hat to cover the wound from the ME-262? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was not actually touched, but boy, it was close. <laughs> those, those tiny bald hairs <laughs> were brushed, but yeah, it was... Uh, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the backstory on that. Uh, Fitz, were you there for that? 
Uh, no, I had left already. Uh, you're, you're talking, what Terry's talking about is uh, our, our local club called uh, SCOBY. Uh, uh, what is it? Bayou City Flyers, remember correctly, is their actual name. So it's SCOBY Park and within George Bush Park, I think. Uh, it's anyways in Houston. It's very well known as a really nice flying field that does uh, RC models. There's a control line, circles, there's glider guys. It's really a nice mecca. And so they had a warbird flying event last weekend that Lee and I attended. And uh, Lee got a little bit more excitement than he anticipated, and which I'll let him describe right now. Uh, well, you know, guys, I like to get on the flight line. I'm I'm right there with with the action, <laughs> but. So, so people know if you watch the video or if you have seen the video, I'm in a pilot station. I mean, I'm protected by a fence, you know. So I, I was where I could be. No one. Some people thought I was like right on the runway, and it's like it's my fault for taking. No, guys. I, if I were a pilot standing flying a plane, I would have been decked. Because what you guys miss is when that MIG comes up and starts coming at me, I'm slowly bending down <laughs> under the fence. So my left hand is on the, the chain fence and I'm going down and I had my camera up like this, hoping to get the shot. And I just, I happened to get it. But if I were standing, if Terry was standing, he would have been hitting the gut. <laughs> but it was dang, dang close. Do, do you want to see if you can show a clip of it? Since uh, we're, since I can't give me, a, video. give me a second. I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to do some stuff for our page to let people know where the new links up. But uh, yeah. Anyway, it was exciting, and I shared the crap out of it <laughs> on the interweb because it, it, except for a, a video I have of a B17 going down at Bomber Field, which was one of uh, another video I'm, I, I say I'm famous for, but one that has garnered a lot of attention. This one, uh, this one's way at the top now. Yeah, so. it's been shared around the world. Yeah. yeah. Got, <laughs> All the Germans it, laughing at us. <laughs> it, it may have a million views that I can't see. So, but right. uh, I know that I think we've been hit like uh, uh, we've been hit uh, eight, maybe about eight plus thousand hit hits on our page. That's and pretty I, good I, for us. Yeah. Threw some out there on Instagram. So exciting wow. times. All right. So time to be honest. Was it so close? because you decided you were going to stick with it or because it happened too fast to actually do anything about it? It happened too fast. I mean, I just figured the guy was going to correct. So I, I just held my ground like, you know, like I normally would just to, you know, but whew, yeah, it was <laughs> mighty close, but yeah, I'll, let me see. I I'm grabbing my YouTube channel here. Sorry. So give me one second. Talk some more guys <laughs> while I'm pulling this up. I'm sorry. I wasn't prepared and I've got also got to make sure I can switch to it. Do do do, but yes, I my, my I, honestly, guys, I, I I know I survived it. I know it was close, but I my favorite part above all was Randy Larson <laughs> out there screaming, <laughs> Lee Ray, cat like reflexes." Oh, it's color commentary. <laughs> Man, I laughed so hard because I I mean, besides trying to pull myself up off the ground, and uh, but you did know, you dive? Oh yeah, I I went down. Oh, okay. I thought you yeah. kept following the model. No, no, no. My, I was like I said, I, I was going down like this. I mean, it was quick, but I kept my hand up to, okay. to capture it. So, yeah, if I was standing, I would have been decked. And hmm. you, you could see how fast the thing was going. All right. So, I've yeah. got it up on my video screen here. So, give me a second while I try to um, see if I can switch to my screen. Do to do screen can share. So, frame by frame. Yes. Okay. So, I'm going to say that. Oh, that's weird. Freaking I, out, oh, man. Yeah, I don't want to do that, I guess. Inception. Just, yeah, I'm in the Matrix now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, 
right, there we so go. There we go. So that's me. So I got to now get out of this window and go to this window and hit play. Ready? <laughs> die, die, American, <laughs> die. <laughs> I mean, it was fast, guys. It just yeah, it, he did a quick right, hard right turn, and you saw your light flash before your eyes, huh? Yeah, that that was your throat, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the rest of the world saw, but it went to Fitz talking during the good part. Oh, oh sorry no. Show it again. I'll, I'll be quiet. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought I had it hooked on me. Do, do, do. Let me switch back. Sorry. Dude, me to lock me down. I thought I was locked on me. How did Fitz get in the way? <laughs> Damn you, Fitz. <laughs> All right. So is it back up there? It is now. All right. Shh, Fitz. That was normal speed. <laughs> it was. This is half speed. So, anyway, but yeah, you can't really tell I'm crouching, but I did. <laughs> you got a blow dry from and, that too. And right? it wasn't like the guy. I mean, you know, I I don't know this pilot. I don't know who it was. He never apologized, but he didn't lay off. I mean, he he was going towards people. I just think he should have cut the throttle. But in in any case, it makes for a great video. <laughs> <Doesn't it? laughs> now, now we should note that that weekend was particularly exciting because there were several other incidences that happened i think you caught several of them on uh, video as well i did but some people don't like the one where pv lost his zero but looking at the video it looked like his right rudder uh, excuse me it looks like his rudder stuck full right because that's yanked his plane and he it was right rudder the entire time going down so that was a technical issue, mm. uh, but we're not going to waste time. If you guys, all the videos are on the, our channel and, uh, you know, you can, or our YouTube are either on Facebook shared or they're on our YouTube channel. Okay. Well, thanks for that. So real quick, I want to go over to our YouTube and see who's here. So, uh, finally I'm looking at some of the people commenting. So, uh, it's Mark from old school model works, right? Yes. Yeah. He's here. Hey, Hey, Mark. thanks for being oh, patient. Mark. PV's here. PV's laughing. See, I, I wasn't calling you out, PV. I thought, I mean, I thought you did your best, and it was kind of goofy. And then Wit Pilot, uh, is that uh, Mike? Uh, anybody following Oshkosh? Yeah, I've been, I've been looking at the photos. But that F eighty two is great. Our friend uh, Wally is up there at Oshkosh, and he sent me a picture of him hugging the landing gear on the F eighty two. All right, you're giving me seizures with these screens. Oh, am I still share screen sharing? Yes. I'm sorry, guys. Let me turn that sucker off. I've been checking out your tabs to make sure you weren't doing anything untoward. Oh, yeah, this this is boring. <laughs> yeah, my, my laptop is boring. So you even have old school model works up here, but you're not seeing that. So anyway, um, hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. We have an agenda of hopefully talking about getting into the hobby and stuff. But, you know, you know us. We just kind of wing it and we're having fun. And I do want to do a quick shout out for thanking the AMA for... Uh, for sharing our link. And of course, unfortunately it's the wrong link, <laughs> but, but <laughs> I, I posted corrections on our page and uh, also a quick shout out, excuse me, to uh, RC after hours. Cause uh, I watched the show uh, last week and heard that Chris was uh, stepping down off the show. And that's been one of the podcasts that's on my phone. And I listen to them traveling all the time. And um, I don't, I guess Andre didn't give you any kind of notion that was going to happen when you met him at flight fest. Did, did he? No, he did not. Okay. So, but you know, Hey guys, I mean, you do what you gotta do. We're, we, we've been in this for three years. They were in it for five. We hope to hit that five-year mark. I, I think we're on our way. 
but uh, I sure enjoyed listening to you, Chris. And as a, a father too, with a kid who's very active and stuff, I, I understand that, you know, you're quite busy with the, was it baseball and maybe some automotive stuff and you know, they're getting at an age where you just kind of want to suck it all in before they head out the door. So good luck to you. <laughs> before they're too cool to stay with you. Yeah. be around you <laughs> well and you know what i'm going to inter interject real quick because speaking of kids uh shout out to my son austin today and well shout out to ryan too because they both live with me but uh at the bayou city warbird event at scoby uh mike label our buddy from liable liable jake mike <laughs> <laughs> mike l <laughs> b24 guy um he was uh, out there and he happened to win an icon a5 and this is not the Park Zone version. This is the, I guess, the E-Flight version. In any case, uh, he he won it as a raffle prize. And I was just chatting with him. Said, so are you going to keep that? And he goes, no, I don't know if I'm going to need it. And I quickly made him an offer, which he quickly accepted. And I, <laughs> I, I bought that for Austin. And he was really excited. He, he really liked that. So um, we were thinking about going to a, uh, a float fly event this weekend in Edna, Texas, a lake called uh, Texana which I had been to a lot because our boat used to be there and I'd never been to a float fly. So we were excited, but we had some family change, uh, excuse me, family plans change. And he was good hearted to say, yeah, I, I understand. So this morning we got up early, took out the, uh, the icon, took out my uh, fly zone beaver. I've never flown it on floats. And we had a, a heyday out at the uh, Northwest RC flying, doing touch and goes and stuff. And, Everything was great. And Ryan, he was such a good sport. He went ahead and said, hey, Dad, can I ride the John Deere riding mower and mow the field? I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you bet, man. <laughs> you bet. So, uh, it was good, good, good morning to – I'm kind of happy about that. We had a really nice time flying and no damage, all fun, big smiles. And uh, there you go. So thanks, Mike, for, for sharing that icon with us and making a little kid happy. Yeah, nice looking plane. Did I tell you about the time I saw a ruined land uh, in no. the lake here? Uh, you know, uh, Terry, especially, you know, Clear Lake? Oh, sure. Yeah, right here. I was uh, where I work. I can actually see part of the lake uh, out my window. And I was actually out for a walk. And I'm just walking, and suddenly I see this icon fly over and pop down below the trees and land in the lake. And so I, I ran up into work to go up to the second or third floor. And about uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, it goes and takes off and flies out well that's surprising and this was uh, a couple years ago so they're still very new they may not even been certified yet or just were just certified so i was surprised to see one and it just plopped down right in the lake i don't know what they were doing if they were testing something or just goofing off i, I was just was really neat to see that hmm. it's a neat looking plane did you see one when you were at oshkosh a couple years ago lee an icon yeah the real one um, gosh, I don't remember. I did go to the uh, area over at Oshkosh where they have float planes, but gosh, I don't remember if I saw an icon. Uh, you probably would remember it because it's the most un-airplane-like airplane when you look in the cockpit. It looks like a car. It looks like you're sitting in the car just missing the steering wheel. Well, unfortunately, I'm familiar with it because after, you know, getting it for Austin, he was quick to look up of that, uh, that athlete who died. I think he was kind of hot-rodding his icon. He, he rolled it into a lake and died. Oh, a real one, yeah. But they said he, yeah, was, hot, yeah. he was hot dogging it. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Kind of like how Austin that. was yes. today. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but you got to be careful with any any aircraft. And then I also mentioned that uh, you might remember this, and it's uh, not in Clear Lake. I think it was Conroe, but a guy was landing a float plane as he, wheels came down, and it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 
yeah yeah i understand on uh, landing on waters can be really tricky because it's hard to discern your distance from the water surface sometimes it's it's easy to land on water just not (laughs) (laughs) it's landing well or surviving landing (laughs) you you can get there uh and we had a couple of skips today on both of us so but uh overall i think it was it was all good it was all good so cool beans terry we've been talking over you anything you want to talk about float planes or or the such i have no full-scale piloting advice for anyone I'm just going to sit here quietly. <laughs> it's funny you got a float plane because I still have that 3D printed float plane that I have not flown yet. I need, I'm need. i trying to coordinate oh, with yeah. Jeff. Uh, it's done, ready. I just, we've been had issues, just been busy and in coordination issues. Uh, but I'm thinking, not really sure where to fly around here. I, every time I think about it, it's like, there's really not, I don't want to fly into brackish water. Uh, not a whole lot of options. I might go uh, crash. Lee's Club, since they have a nice float area there. Come on down. Uh, uh, it doesn't look like I'm going to make it to the float flight t- tomorrow because of the, uh, uh, I got some other plans tomorrow. So, you know that old joke about the Aggie landing is playing in the fog and they land and the no. co pilot says, Well, that's the shortest landing I've ever made. And the guy, co pilot, turns and says, Yes, yeah, the widest runway I've ever seen, too. <laughs> Well, today we were landing crosswind in that lake, so it's a oh, very, oh. very long little man-made lake. But boy, we were landing hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of narrow, right? Long and narrow ish. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so we probably should kind of mosey back to our topic, and I'd like to do some more interacting with you guys that are on the show right now because it is lunch with us, and our goal today was to interact with you. Um, Hopefully we can get some new people on, uh, you know, people who are new in the hobby. That was our, our, our little agenda was, you know, how, what do we recommend getting into the hobby? You know, that, that kind of stuff. What tools maybe that we use? Um, obviously, I think we're all in our workshop. Or is, not Fitz. Fitz, where are you? You're back in your little office, your model building office? I'm in the, the uh, secondary modeling room, I guess. Mainly the plastic model room because inside gotcha. the house, so... Unlike you fancy guys with air-conditioned workshops, mine's in a garage. <laughs> I, I have been in that garage before. I ain't got to go back to that. <laughs> it cost me a lot of money to get my other one fit my AC fixed, too. So but, trade-off. Yeah, but I did bring some show-and-tell stuff on a table behind me. So. Do you want to show first? Uh, I guess I can show it as we go along, really, as, as the topic arises. I just brought some random stuff. Uh, I, I guess the point is where we're going to start. We want to kind of go at the very beginning of somebody who's just looking to get into the hobby. Uh, some basic recommendations, some philosophical discussions. <laughs> where do we want to start on this? Well, I think we should cover strategies, number one, and airplanes, number two, and then support equipment, number three. Not necessarily in that oh, order. Well, main strategy is overkill. <laughs> Don't let your enemy retreat. Uh, Fitz, Fitz starts everything with 5S. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was flying in a 5S plane uh, last weekend. Was was it the UMX Timber? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 5S 8000 on the Timber. <laughs> well, uh, Terry, what do you propose we start first? I think we should... Let's talk about Step one, where you go, you're going to, you need an airplane to start with, right? So yes, 
where do you go there? And I think we probably have three different opinions on the the best way to do that. Okay. So, well, I got to – well, I mean, there's always – for all trainers, there's something pretty general. Let me see if I can – I want well, to take – before you even start, I think we have to establish. Do we all agree that you need a trainer? Trainer model. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. A trainer plane versus yeah. like EDF. Or versus something intermediate with artificial stabilization. Well, it's probably hard to avoid that nowadays. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's that's uh, you don't need artificial point. stabilization. That's if, I, mean, I agree. You don't need it. It's nice. It helps, but it's a double-edged sword in some right. cases. Solves some problems, creates new ones. Yeah. Um, so let's just dig into that then. I think safe can be helpful. I don't think it replaces having an instructor to to get you started. I think in the beginning, you don't know what you don't know, and only a person who's been through it can tell you these things that you need to well, compensate. Maybe we should describe what safe is for those who's not familiar with it. Take it away, Fitz. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Put it on me, huh? Okay. Well, SAFE is, I don't know if it's, is it an acronym? I think that's just a trademark name. No, it's an acronym. Is it? Do you remember? I don't remember what the acronym sounds for. But basically, it's a, it's a flight stability augmentation limitation system where it has uh, active gyros that keep the plane stable and, and bouncy air, but also prevents you from over-controlling by uh, usually uh, angle limiting your bank and pitch and roll. Uh, on the aircraft so uh, that you you really have a hard time getting into trouble you won't you can't accidentally flip the plane inverted because it won't let you do that it usually has uh, some sort of bailout functionality that if you really get in trouble you press a button and it completely levels the plane and it continues to fly at a level attitude uh, and there's some different variations i think some of the umx planes can actually uh loiter and return to home and some uh, other advanced features but for the most part it just limits your control ability, prevents over-controlling, and has a, a bailout button. That's kind of a high-level summary of SAFE, S-A-F-E. Uh, so and it, sometimes you'll see planes that'll say, what is it, the AS3X, uh, which is a sort of a not quite safe, but it does have a gyro stabilization, but you can still do aerobatics. So for, for, from everything I've seen, SAFE includes AS3X, but AS3X does not always have the SAFE option well, they have different purposes as3x yeah. is just to make the airplane look more fluid in rough air yeah all it does is damp the tiny little burbles as you go through so i don't think it has any benefit for new pilots no it's not, not going to really. keep you from crashing no you'll just look nice and stable while you do it yeah exactly you can still crash pretty much anything you throw up in yeah. the air i i think we i guess uh, I'm trying to correlate my thoughts here. Uh, well, you were you were talking about Terry. I interrupted you with the safe explanation, but you can continue whatever you were the path you were going down. Well, just that for people who, I think the overwhelming concern for most new pilots is, what if I crash my plane? So you fix uh, it. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> that's it. There's a mental hurdle there. You're you're going to crash it sooner or later. But I think that's the main appeal for safe is that it does help you. It, it's basically a, a, someone looking over your shoulder, making sure that if you screw up too bad, the airplane will automatically take over. Now, but, now, but, now, speaking of that, I guess we should say, really, I think we can all agree that the first thing you really should do is seek help. 
from somebody who's experienced in this. Well, right. That, that was the, the overriding theme in all of this, that while safe will keep the wings level so you don't crash, it doesn't keep you from flying off into the horizon with the wings level. So you need to have the presence of mind to do that. And you may not have that in the first flight. And also safe, especially the ones with the GPS that like you talked about will loiter and keep you from flying away. It makes the airplane significantly more complex. I remember the first time I flew a plane that had safe and GPS, it hit whatever geofence and started doing this loiter. I had no idea that that's what had happened. It just starts doing its own thing. I had no control over it. And so I would have been much better off having control of the airplane. And I spent, I don't know how long, it felt like forever, trying to figure out how to get control back. So these things can be helpful, but they come at a cost. And my general philosophy in all of this is simple is better. So streamline mm. your goals and the equipment you have to do it in the beginning. And I think you improve your odds. So if you're stuck on safe, you can use it and just be prepared to handle the, the costs of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think for me, safe is what you get after your instructor has handed you the transmitter. You know, have someone, you know, in, in the old school days, old school days, you, you used to do the trainer cord. So you'd have two transmitters and the, the pilot, the main pilot would always have a switch. So if you got into trouble, he could come back and take it over and kind of explain to you what happened. So you have that interaction. You get to see, you know, what's happening and then find out, okay, see how it did this dive. This is how you get out of it. We had a situation with our safe on our champ S plus that it went into that geofence, but then it quickly got out of it. So it didn't stay there for a long period of time. So we weren't sure if that was us or the plane or, you know, interference. So, uh, and in fact, Mark had mentioned just on our, our YouTube channel that, uh, you know, he was talking about geofencing too. And that's, it's, it's a, a helpful thing, but I would rather it go from instruct, well, watching people fly, you know, learning by do, watching them, an instructor, and then working with the instructor so that you can learn how to get out of those mistakes that you're making versus a plane that's always stable that once you turn that off, you realize it's a little quirky. And I knew this is going to sound weird, but I think that might turn off some people who are getting into the hobby. If they have a plane flying so stable the entire time and they try to fly it naturally and it, it, it it's not as easy as they thought, they might go, oh, well, that's not much fun, fun if I have to sit there and try to keep it alive the entire time. And, you know, I think what I got into it, I was like, all right, this is the, this is the, the task at hand, you know, try to get those landings down. So. Well, what I normally tell people that fly planes with the, that type of technology is this, to slowly start disabling some of it uh, and to really learn how to fly it because you get into sort of bad habits after a while. And I say, you know, start disabling the, the safe, different safe modes, go to like the med uh, medium mode or advanced mode and get used to flying it with a much less uh, stabilization, uh, augment augmentation really. Right. Uh, and that way you get a feel that way you can start flying other stuff because you would get into, I've seen where because it's for safe, for example, for instance, from over controlling that people start getting really ham-fisted with a plane that doesn't have it. So you're over-controlling really badly. So yeah, I thought I could fly. So, well, you can, but you've really got a muscle memory that's sort of fighting against you. Right. So, Yeah, it can become a crutch. For instance, I'm in a lot of multi-rotor groups on Facebook, and these are aerial photography multi-rotor groups. So you're talking mm. Phantoms and Mavics, things that have GPS and this auto-leveling built in. Yeah, And I'm constantly amazed by the number of people who their method for landing is just to hit the return to home button and let it do it automatically. <laughs> yeah. And they, 
a lot of people comment on there that you know if, if it automatically hits return to home and they can tell it's going to hit a tree or something they have no idea how to take over so they've become so dependent on the auto systems that they they're not prepared to take over when the automatic systems are going to fail them so i think that can happen in fixed wing stuff too sounds like stuff that's happened in real life with some uh, airlines <laughs> don't don't go there <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to step back one more. We're we're on the subject of what airplane to choose. I think my my overall advice is seek an instructor first, whether it's through a club or a friend or whatever. Seek an instructor first and go with their advice because if you're trying to get help from someone, they're already going to have their own equipment and whatever that they're comfortable with. So you don't want to go get something outside of their comfort range and yeah, and throw them for a loop. So I'm laughing though because sometimes you got to pick the pick your instructor carefully. If, well, you, if you go for one of the Texas War with Thunder guys, you're gonna say throttle, throttle model. They fly better full throttle. Yeah, <laughs> all trainers fly better screaming down the runway inverted. Uh, but oh, yeah, I'm, don't be a don't, yeah, that's, you make a good point, Lee, is having a good relationship with the instructor because sometimes um, it just it could be personality clashes, style clashes, and it will hinder your training. So don't be afraid to seek out a different instructor if the first one doesn't work out. And for people who don't know, you can go to the Academy of Model Aeronautics website and they have a list of clubs and every club I've been in, so I'm sure 99% of the clubs out there have one or more assigned instructors and it's all free. So just yeah. contact the club and tell them you're looking to get started and they'll take over. The that's, a, that's a good point. A lot of club, I think almost all clubs, really, once you once you join up, instruction is free. And yeah. they'll have multiple instructors or you just pick one or well, maybe go through a couple different ones, see which one you like. Yeah. or who's they, may even have a, they may even have a club trainer already on here. Yeah, yeah. Our, our club has two or three dedicated trainers. So Trainer airplanes, not people, like the equipment, yeah. right? So you don't have to buy that first airplane. Both, both well, instruct trainer instructors and trainer aircraft. Yeah. Mm. Maybe we should talk about what makes a good trainer aircraft. Go that, ahead. That one right there. The Corsair? The uh, Apprentice? No, the Apprentice. Oh, Apprentice. In fact, uh, yes. FYI, did you see that uh, uh, Horizon Hobby came out with a new Apprentice? Yeah, I couldn't no. tell what the new features are, though. It's like the RS. <laughs> <laughs> No, this is I, I. What I like about this one, guys, this is a hodgepodge apprentice. That's two different versions. This is Austin's. It uh, we put it together from two different uh, kits uh, from a person at our club who gave up the hobby. But this has no AS3X, no safe. This is just a regular flying plane. But Austin, what I think he soloed at nine. This is a really nice plane. The apprentice yeah. would make a very nice trainer. I want to take over for a second. Uh, which I pulled up. Let's see. Can you see that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Can you see my mouse or, or no? No, yes. that's the apprentice. Okay. okay so, so this is an apprentice. This is still a picture of one. And all trainers, uh, with very few exceptions, uh, are going to have a high wing. You see the wing is above the uh, fuselage. You see the windows, uh, high wing trainer, even for a real world uh, stuff. This is typical configuration of a trainer, something high wing, uh, fairly large wingspan in relationship to the aircraft. 
the the apprentice is kind of nice. It has these little leading leading edge extensions on the outboard part of the wing to help the stall characteristics. Uh, so a good trader plane is going to be able to fly slow. It's going to be somewhat self-correcting and also have very docile handling characteristics. But and I want to fly an F-16. Uh, you can once very briefly, <laughs> <laughs> but you do not start with a warbird for the most part. You don't start with an F-16 or a jet or anything fancy. You got to start with a trainer. Even real pilots don't just jump into an F-16 and fly around. They got to start with pretty much a plane like this. So uh, a trainer, there's all kinds of different sizes, big, small, you know, sleek looking, basic, squared off. <clears throat> compound curves, whatever, but you're going to see something with fairly large tail surfaces, <clears throat> uh, high wing, tricycle gear is another thing that's important. Uh, tricycle gear is easy to drive on the ground, easy versus a tail dragger, which you only have two wheels, which can be a little bit tricky, especially in crosswinds, and depending on how the plane's designed, can be squirrely on the ground. So tricycle gear, high wing. Uh, the Apprentice is it's really hard to beat. This is kind of the... Uh, the gold standard of trainers. Uh, we've had several in our clubs. I've taught one or two people to fly on one of these things. And it is it, absolutely super easy to fly. Slows down to a crawl. Um, very docile. Actually, surprisingly durable. <laughs> durable was the key, yeah. Durable. Yeah. <laughs> these things are very durable. They're all foam. Easy to fix. Because uh, I've seen some take some pretty hard blows. Uh, so this is sort of the standard configuration. So it's hard to beat this plane. There are other models, definitely. I think somebody uh, mentioned the Sick Cadet and Senorita here in the chat. And those definitely uh, are also very good trainers. Uh, uh, Cadet Senior uh, is a huge plane. Not just, he says a Senorita, which is smaller. But uh, uh, I recently flew a Cadet Senior, which is a large plane. It's basically a trainer, but still fun to fly and just as easy to fly as anything else. So uh, let me get off the screen here. So Terry, here's one <clears throat> for you. They they have like a mini apprentice and the regular apprentice. Yep. Explain explains why someone would want the bigger one versus the smaller one. Easier to see. In my experience training people, they tend <laughs> to get further away than they should. And they very quickly get beyond their <clears throat> range where they can tell which way the airplane's <clears throat> pointed. So the bigger airplane gives you a little bit more tolerance with that. And I think it's in general going to be a little bit more stable as well. I've heard good things about the mini apprentice. I've never flown one, but I think in general, bigger's better you know, with, within reason. So, well, here's, and here's another way, uh, Terry, I mean, excuse me, Fitz, because you showed the apprentice and I did as well. One plane I have here, I don't think I left the box right here that I love is the hobby zone champ. And when it first came out, it was just a basic little plane, just a brush motor, no stabilization, no giant, no thing. It's just elevator rudder and power, you know? So that plane is easy to fly. But then again, explain why someone might want an apprentice over a little champ to be their first plane. Uh, mainly weather. Uh, the, the, I imagine a little champ is going to get blown around a lot if it's a, a bit breezy versus the uh, apprentice can handle some fairly stiff winds without too much trouble. So, it, and uh, I guess the only advantage for the champ would be size. I guess you could fly in a little field, Port baseball field or something, okay. portability. portability. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's going to get bounced around quite a bit, even with the stability. And, and its forward speed is probably going to struggle in anything faster than, what, 15-mile-per-hour winds or so. 
so I would, and, and also eyesight, it's easier to see something bigger, right? So when you're learning, you're not as good with the control. So it's easy to get the plane further away from you than you're, you typically anticipate or prepare for. So I've seen a lot of times where somebody's learning and suddenly they're kind of far away. He's like, you know, you really need to turn it back. <laughs> no, echo in here. <laughs> Are you hearing things? Yeah, you just repeated what I said. Oh, did I? <laughs> we agree on that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, no. I got distracted. Um, you, you doubled my point. So. Okay. Well, just making, just really solidifying the point that you made. How about that? Well, I think a lot of people have taught themselves how to fly on the champ. So it's good in mm. that regard. So for the people who are too stubborn or shy or whatever to go find help, the champ by virtue of low momentum can be pretty good yeah. just because it's tough <clears throat> to break and it's cheap. So you're going to crash it, no doubt about it. And mm. hopefully you're not going to break it each time. So you just, through the process of learning a little bit between each crash, eventually you get to where you keep it in the air. Yeah, I probably should mention that. I think I mentioned on the show before that I actually taught myself to fly years ago. Uh, now, this is a long time ago. There was no augmentation. There was no apprentice. This was planes that were either foamies or you built yourselves. And it's not something I recommend for the most part because I did go through quite a few planes. And I had, I think, one or two planes that were more glue than plane when I got through with them. Mm. Uh, but I did have a lot of fun with it. I was determined to do it. And I think the main reason is if you, unless you got a really a lot of determination, you could probably get put off by trying to learn yourself because you may uh, end up crashing a lot and, and not really progressing very quickly. Uh, but it can be done. And if you're determined to do that, then you certainly can. Uh, and a plane like the Little Champ, would probably be better than an apprentice in that case. And right. and for me to, to to share this story with you guys, because watching Austin progress to where he is now, one thing we haven't mentioned yet was the flight simulator. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I was hoping we would talk about that, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Austin was really big into the flight simulator software. He was very adamant. Of course, he loved flying first person view, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you're trying to do all those little <laughs> contests. But the flight simulator really helped him. He soloed on an apprentice. We got him the Champ S Plus, which we immediately turned off safe because I didn't like it, but I like the stabilization. And then his first, like, I would say purchase were to plane he wanted to buy and he helped get it and he built it and flew it would be the Park Zone Sport Cub. And that has AS3X. And to tell you, it's that's a fun little plane. It, it's it's a easy little plane to fly. I think it takes a 3S 1300, maybe an 1800. You might be able to shove a 2200 in there. Um, but that's a, a fun little plane. But I saw how he progressed to those planes. And then today he's flying a Icon A5 off water. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's, that's a really good point is the simulator. I've seen people uh, go from a simulator to the plane and look like they've been flying for quite some time. They, they learn how to fly on a simulator and that was their instructor. And they would, they were able to progress to a real plane without any issues. Uh, so if you, you think you're limited with an instructor or you kind of don't want to deal with other people, you're agoraphobe, <laughs> a simulator, even if you know how to fly, you use a simulator to practice new moves. So, and yeah, that's, I think one of the best tools you can have yeah. to get you over those initial hurdles of orientation and things like that. Um, I still suggest having somebody there, those first few flights, just to <clears throat> get you over those initial hurdles. But yeah. If you're if you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. You'll hmm. you'll pay for it with busted airplanes, but that's okay. Lots of people do that. Well, so. I guess the point is, is there's multiple ways of paths of success, 
And a simulator is something I very would heavily recommend somebody invest in, especially in you know, those, those cold, rainy days. You can't go fly. Just pop in a simulator and fly around a little bit. Keep and I think there's even some freebie download stuff now. Uh, yeah, so, there have been for some while. I can't remember what they're called, but yeah, they're always going to. For me, I think the main goal is if you have a transmitter interface, the stuff that you get on your phone, I don't know how helpful that would be because you're not using yeah. the same movements. Yeah, to, I wouldn't do a phone thing. But yeah, I mean, look around. Maybe we can put some links up. Yeah, um, there used different. to be used to be a free sim that all you had to do was buy a, a little trainer interface for it. That was a nominal cost. Yeah, for, for a, a lot of yeah. There's dongles that'll plug into a lot of transmitters yeah. to give you that basically a joystick. So and then of course there's real flight, which is the what's been the gold standard for years and years that yeah. comes with its own joystick. So that's a good one too. Yeah, it's yeah, got and realistic graphics. We hadn't if you listen to our show, we've talked about it, but that feedback you get from a transmitter is also a learning curve to understand where the throttle needs to sit, how your hands need to coordinate with each other. So getting your hands on a flight simulator will really prepare your hands to hold the transmitter for quite some time. Decide if you're a pincher or you're a thumb <laughs> guy, because uh, I think that would help. And I, I, I certainly think it helped Austin because, you know, he was very steady with the transmitter. It wasn't awkward for him. He didn't didn't have any issues holding the transmitter that I've seen other people have. So just for fun, uh, I want uh, each of us to share like what your first, what do you think your first real trainer plane was and anything you learned from that experience or, you know, would have changed? Terry? <laughs> I think you know, I went through a few airplanes at first, but the one that I really learned how to fly on would have been a Goldberg Electra with a direct drive electric motor and a six cell NICAD. And at first it was just a, a manual switch on or off. You turned it on, you launched it, and then you landed, or you flew until the battery was dead, and then you landed. And you ran over and turned off the switch before you burned something up. <laughs> I've done that a few times, smoke a couple yeah. of motors. <laughs> yeah. I eventually installed a car ESC in it, and that worked fine. And then uh, over time, I, I got in line. Oh, that's a great air brake. Yeah. <laughs> Just run that prop backwards. Yeah. Zoom! A reverse <laughs> thrust. Reverse oh, yeah. Beta. I like that. <laughs> And I don't know, an Electra makes a fine trainer, e even with the limitations that I had put on myself with the throttle. Uh, I think a powered sailplane even today is a good option. And we didn't really get into it, but to me, if you're not going off the shelf, and what I taught my kids to fly on, not that they're into the hobby that much, but when they were trying to learn, we got the chuck gliders from Walmart. And first we built them as little gliders with just two channel rudder uh, elevator. Um, I would throw it and then they would fly it to the ground. Then they'd run and grab it and we'd throw it again. And we would just do that until they could do it confidently. And then I added a small electric power system and then they could fly it around more. And so it was kind of a gradual escalation of ability in both the airplane and their skills. And there was no heartburn because you're dealing with a $10 airplane. So for anybody who asked that starting with zero, I recommend that kind of approach because it kind of removes any of the concern about crashing, which helps you relax and fly better to begin with. Yeah, that would be my similar. I, I got started with gliders. So basically, Terry had a motor on his glider. I did not. So all of my, <laughs> I think my dad was actually making me exercise. <laughs> Throw it, go get it, come back. <laughs> Throw it, go get it back. <laughs> Let's work off those pounds. But I, I'll, I'll never, ever change my mind. That's made me a better pilot. I think that's why I've stayed in this hobby longer is because once you learn how to get a glider to fly a certain direction, always stay behind it so you feel like you're the pilot. 
and and being able to spot land or make a turn and come back and and, and nail those landings once you start getting the power to aircraft especially if you have a uh, you know the battery drain or the engine quit or something and you know how to fly the plane you'll become a better pilot mm -hmm. i did bring the aircraft i it's not popular anymore but i'll tell you it was one of the planes i'd always recommend to people if you can still get one similar and that's the the multiplex easy star it's you know because you can fly this as a glider as you can see i've taken them the motor off on this one because we are going to upgrade it but i've been giving this to ryan just to throw as it is so just rudder and elevator it's a, it's a mini electra and uh, <laughs> this thing flies great it, it just can take so much damage it's that epp foam or is that the epp for multiplex right? i think they call it elapor or elapor elapor yeah and uh you know the only change we we made to the original kit was the rudder is too small they kept this little tiny rudder but this really helps but this is this is a great go-to plane. In fact, I have one that I take to the beach all the time just to fly around for fun, ride the slope. So, um, again, an easy star is a, is a great first plane. But anything that you can, I mean, I'm going to still point to a glider. Anything you can throw and, and have a little bit more time to respond to its maneuvers, something that's not so quick, work your way up. Fitz is probably an 049, I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Uh, it's interesting that all three of us uh, basically consider gliders as our, our real first training plane. Because same for me, I had a, a general lady that I built from a kit. And yeah, I think I've talked about this before in the show where uh, I had gone through a couple of glow powered planes, no, glow and electric. Uh, back when electric was pretty primitive. And both of those I, I trashed pretty quickly for the most part. And it wasn't until I had a general lady. At first, I had it as a pure glider, and I threw it off hills just to get the, the feel for it. Then I put an 049 power pod on it, and that's when it really came alive. And it was my first real training plane. It was powered. I could fly it around, and even when the engine quit after a couple of minutes or so, I, I still had time in the air to glide it down. Uh, it got to the point where I was confident enough to do aerobatics with it. So that was real once I did that, then I went back to the other planes I had started on before and couldn't fly, and suddenly I was able to fly those. Successfully, so uh, gliders are not something to be passed up, and there's some really nice gliders out there now as well. So, granted, you can't do touch and goes for the most part. You know, you can go uh, off the Challenge grass, maybe. Accepted. Yeah, <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, speaking of, we have but, you know uh, Mark's on our our show right now from Old School Model Works, and he's got the the Wayfarer glider. Yeah, yeah, that was something similar. That's electric powered power pod glider, and yeah. And, those uh in an unlucky days you can find thermals and stay up even longer so it's a second challenge to, to or aspect of the hobby oh here's, so, here's here's quick trivia what's the longest flight you've had with a glider oh i don't know um i i don't remember what Lee? why what? 56 minutes oh, oh gosh okay you bad as beat by my dad and i on a uh oh I don't think if it was the Malibu or it was Aquila or his Airtronics Aquila, but yeah, 56 minutes. That was awesome. Hmm. How's your neck the next day? <laughs> oh man, I was, I was leaning against the car, that hot car, like <laughs> just sitting like that. Still oh, and this was, and here's, this is for, this is for fun. This was on a tower hobbies, one stick radio that mm -hmm. ran off of eight alkalines. I think, you know, just, those little packs in the back there and it wasn't that flight but i think a couple of flights after that the batteries died we you know you don't get warnings back then <laughs> you just go plane ain't moving <laughs> 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 you start running yeah. after it <laughs> but anyway uh, yeah. 
Well, speaking of radios, do we want to talk radios? Why not? Let's summarize airplanes. Do we have any sort of consensus here? Uh, well, an, apprentice, apprentice is good. good. Glider, good. Yeah. An apprentice glider. Now we're on to something. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> right. Oh, there you go. You can uh, swap the wing out. <laughs> go, go two meter and then <laughs> shorten the wing. There's a guy who showed up to our club with something similar. It was a swappable plane. I forgot what it was called, but it, it had a high wing trainer type thing, and then he swapped it out for like a mid wing kind of aerobatic. Oh, what was the Terry? What? Maybe you've seen it before. Or heard uh, of it. Flyzone used to make one called the Switch. The Switch, yeah. That's might have been that, yeah. I think it was what it was. Okay. Not not quite the same. Oh, well. Did we did we answer your question, Terry? Do we It's we, not my we, question. It's it's the world's question. Well, well, the apprentice is something around the apprentice. I know someone mentioned uh, a flight test plane, which I, I to totally disagree with. Uh, because I will say the the storage that they sell, which to me is just a, a, a neat little cub uh, like plane, that it flies pretty darn well. But uh, I don't know. I think I think the the experience people we we've all had with an apprentice, it's it's what do you call it, tried and true. Yeah. So I, I think it it's worth the investment. Definitely worth the investment. And quite frankly, it's a plane you won't just sit in the closet and not fly it again. You'll always take it out because. You'll do something like what Austin and I did and put a little bomb bay underneath. Mm. And I don't know if I've ever told this story. <laughs> I'm kind of nervous. But we also, we uh, dropped someone's ashes at our club with an apprentice. Really? Wow. So it's very versatile. <laughs> I hope my son drops my ashes from a thunder and lightning. So. <laughs> That'll be great. <laughs> or maybe just pile drives it down on the ground. Just buries me into the ground in a thunder and lightning. But... Well, yeah. let's not gloss over the flight test uh, aspect of this because they do have gliders and I think they can be good trainers. And there's also something to be said for the pride in doing it yourself. So uh, for people who want the flight test option, I think there's ways to go there. But just like before, you don't want the warbirds and you know you yeah. don't want the fast movers. You got to start with something relatively slow. And High wing, three channels. Something high wing, a little yeah. more wing area. Yeah, try not to get one of the the short wings or swept wings. Try to keep something that's simple and yeah. straight. I mean, the storage has been a good plan. It was it came recommended by someone from the flight test community cast uh, podcast. So I I it was okay. The one thing I wouldn't recommend is the landing gear. So I'm just saying that right now. I'd swap that gear out with a standard gear you can just get off the shelf. Uh, but the plane itself flies really nice. So yeah, it's it's not bad. I still think though my apprentice would be the go to. Yeah, that, that's where I always recommend people to go when they, they talk about getting into hobby. I say just get an apprentice. It's kind of. I might open a can of worms here, but what about buying a used plane? Like, a, what if you would you recommend someone buy a used apprentice? I wouldn't be against it if it was in good uh, shape. They're never in good shape. <laughs> but if you have that, shape once, yeah. Yeah, you if, never know. If you have that person who can help you, then yeah, sure, why not? Because yes. they can go over it and identify what needs to be done. Yeah, you definitely want to get a second opinion on it if you're very new. Uh, but I wouldn't be definitely wouldn't be against it. You, I'm sure you can find some in a decent shape. Yeah, well, they generally lead hard knock lives because they're mm -hmm. trainers. So. But you can replace pieces of them. Yeah, I think the the most delicate piece is the tail. I've seen a lot of them with loose tails, or the tails the covering starts kind of peeling back off the empennage, yeah. but those are easily replaceable. So, yeah. yeah. And whether it's an apprentice or even a forty size balsa trainer, you know, yeah. at the swap meets I've been to, those 
old trainers have zero value. You can go and get those for pennies on the dollar. So if you're looking to get in it, into the hobby on the cheap, that's a good way to go. That is. That's a good point. Now, of course, a lot of those old trainers have one of these on them. So oh, for the most part, we've been talking about electrics. So, yeah, you can find some good deals at swap meets, but also know that uh, you may want to consider deeply if you want to get into glow-powered planes. That looks brand new. I think it is. I got this uh, with a kit package uh, at a swap meet or something. And, yeah, it, it, I don't think it's ever been run. Best I can tell, it has not been run. Well. So, OS 40. Yeah. There's no glow plug, so. Well, you can take the glow plugs out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... <laughs> We're, we're splitting off again. So I think we reached some kind of consensus on airplanes. We were going to talk about radios. So I, I definitely have opinions on that, but I'll wait my turn. So one of you two. Wait, Go what was that again? Say that. Radios. Oh, radios. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were the one who brought it up. So I'll yeah. just jump in. Then, well, since I you're being shy. With me behind me. Oh gosh. You're I got to right. show and tell. This is, that's a whole episode alone. Okay. <laughs> 45 minutes of radio talk. Well, my only advice is that when you buy a radio, a radio is one thing you should be willing to invest some money in because yes. you want it to grow. And I think the, the minimum point of entry now is an eight channel radio. Because really? Very, eight channel. Yep, really? very soon after, you learn how to fly. You're going to want that Warbird or whatever, and it's going to have retracts. It's going to have flaps, and it might have safe or some other flight mode system where you're going to need a switch for that. And if you're at four or even six channels, you're out of luck. So start with eight. Just go ahead yeah. and bite the bullet up front, or you're very quickly going to be buying another transmitter. That's I'm going to disagree. <laughs> that's, good. that's a good point. I go. I disagree. You can be wrong if you want to. <laughs> well, see, I think over between the difference of six and eight channels, I think what would be more important is probably a, a computer radio, one that allows you to uh, store model memories and to say do settings or mixes, dual rate stuff like that over two more channels. Austin's got a six channel radio. He's been fine on the six channel radio for all these years. His next step will be an eight, but I think a six channel is perfectly acceptable as long as you get one that's not just an old an old analog radio. Definitely get one that can hold at least, say, I mean, the modern ones today, I think a minimum 250, but I got a radio back here that has three. <laughs> you know, it's a Vitaba 60XA or something like that. So you don't want one of these? <laughs> no, no, you don't want one of those. It is a classic. <laughs> no, you could convert it to 2.4. No, well, yeah, there's no module. Yeah, well, but with the stuck. caveat that if somebody wants to give you one of those, take it because it works just as well now as it ever did. So there's no reason not to use an old 72 megahertz radio. <laughs> yeah, this is an old 72 megahertz Airtronics. I think it's even AM. Uh, it might be AM. It's got a crystal on it. This dates yeah. back to the 80s. I don't know why I have one of these still, but I think I flew for quite a while yeah. and uh, for a time. So it's I just was... The was 72 it? megahertz band is cleaner now than it's ever been. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no reason not to use that. Uh, yeah, just I, as old farts use it. <laughs> I, I kind of mostly agree with Terry. Uh, eight. I, I, I tended to tell people, go with as much as you can afford, practically speaking. Um, and definitely if you can go with a seven or eight channel, go with that. Definitely. Like Lisa has a computer radio, uh, for just for the flexibility. 
and it also a good the point to make is not it's not just the channels when you go with uh if you have a six channel computer radio versus an eight channel computer radio the eight channel is going to have better software more mixing capabilities uh and more flexibility in its programming which all sounds Typically. like noise in the beginning when you don't know what all those things mean you're like why do i need that you very quickly learn that those things are important uh, yes exactly yeah so it's yeah you don't know what you're missing until you need it and then suddenly oh wait i should have gone with this in the beginning and i guess the good thing is there's a lot of uh, choices now uh oh i see lee <laughs> squirming <laughs> all right because because i'll tell you I, i've got i've had a plethora of radios too but i don't regret any of those purchases to say why didn't i get that one because they mm. serve their purpose perfectly or the technology had advanced enough or i waited long enough rather for the next radio to come out so for example i have a dx8 it is a workhorse i love this dx8 but it's the first edition dx8 from spectrum i now have a dx9 with the newer technology with way more model memories so you know I, I the dx8 was limited to 30 models i maxed that out really quick so yeah. i needed to get the next radio they didn't have any 250 model memories at the time so the dx9 was the next step up i've got friends have got who what do you have you have the ix12 terry someone's yeah. got the dx20 or they're going to come up to 45 pretty soon that's what i'm expecting but i you know i've never used all that but i'm just saying i've never regretted the purchase because i use that other radio thoroughly until the next technology came out so right but i mean you're talking about an experienced guy who already has a lot of airplanes and equipment so put on your beginner's hat and then i still think it, i still think a dx6 or six channel radio is adequate as long as it has that programming into it oh it's most certainly mm -hmm. adequate i guess we're kind of getting into the adequate versus optimum I yeah i can just think of a ton of people who when they first started they got an apprentice with a six channel radio whether it was a dx6 or whatever and then within a year they were looking to upgrade because the next few models they wanted <laughs> needed more radio. And this is me bantering with Terry because that's what we do. But see, Terry, I know those people who have bought an apprentice with a DX6 radio. They flew, they crashed, they got rid of the radio. They never kept it. They never continued the hobby. So the question is, you know, if we had to find that middle line where someone has that safety net of how much do you want to spend? How much do you want to invest to get into the hobby to see if you'll stay in the hobby? That's why that's why I'm pushing a six. Now, if you are if you're getting in the hobby and you're saying, I am going to do this, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars. I am going to do this. I'm going to become a lifer from the start. Then, yeah, get the IX-12. Well, what's <laughs> the price difference? No, no, no. The IX-12 is certainly not for a beginner. That's way too expensive. <laughs> well, if money's no object, I'm just well, saying, if they know they're going to go that route, then obviously a better, bigger bells and whistle radio would certainly serve them for many years. But you know and that's uh, that's the other thing is like you know there's going to be some other radio coming. remember they had the dx9 and then all of a sudden they came out with a dx9 black it's like a it's like the iphone you're going to keep wanting to upgrade to something that's newer and better they'll come up with something cool what was the feature we saw on one of the radios the the uh the gimbals could be adjusted from the front yeah you know right. and tighten and loosen them like that's not something we had before so they're they're making upgrades so we have really beat this one to death so well um, there's a good point also in the chat there that that also the programming is different for these different brands and so it's it's if you get your hands on go to a local hobby shop and sort of play around with the different transmitters that's uh, also a good thing to do we get the, the feel is different and the programming and i'll you know i'll say i this is my main radio the, the high-tech aurora 9 which is basically i just found out recently has been discontinued because high tech's getting out of transmitter but this has been the easiest radio i ever had to program this blows away everything else i fly jr fly high-tech i've flown uh, spectrum and 
this radio is so intuitive i almost never have to read the manual to do anything and i, I like to do some really weird mixing sometimes uh and so this is touch screen whoever did the programming this did a really good job on it so it's a shame that they're kind of getting out of the game and i really haven't seen anything that hasn't cost like three times as much that has this as easy to program i think the ix12 is probably the closest thing maybe but I haven't played with it that much. So uh, programming is something to say about ease of programming for a beginner as well. What's your, what's your radio of choice, Terry? Depends on what day of the week you ask me. Because <laughs> I've got um, a 12 channel, excuse me, a 14 channel Futaba I use a lot, then the iX12 and the DX8. Those are my three main ones. But I, I've got the tactic um, radios that I use in a lot of my park flyers too. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just not that picky about that kind of stuff. I, I used my tactic today. Yeah. I interchange all those pretty easily. I don't feel like I'm much more comfortable with one than with the other. <laughs> but the downside to that is because I have so many, I never become really adept at programming any of them. I can never remember the specifics of each. So I tend to fumble around. Yeah. Just, just through inertia, I, I typically go to the field with two or three radios, transmitters, yeah. and they're all yeah. different brands. And when I went to Flight Fest last week, I I think I took five different transmitters with me because I was taking some old planes that I hadn't upgraded to my new transmitters yet. And mm. it was easier just to throw them in the box than to, to go through that process. Well, and that opens up another, uh, I don't want to say can of worms, but it will, receivers. Because depending on what brand radio you choose, Spectrum, JR, High Tech, you know, Tactic, you're going to in, want to invest in receivers for that. Now with Spectrum, yeah. you can get these knockoffs which uh, I didn't know until someone re recently told me. I didn't realize that Lemon and Admiral receivers were, in fact, made the same. They're just different. They're just labeled differently. Because uh, I've had some problems with some of my Lemon RC receivers recently, so I switched to Admiral, and they've been working fine. So maybe you just had a bad batch. But mm -hmm. you know, Spectrum makes great receivers. They're pretty expensive. But if you're like me and you like to have a lot of planes ready to fly, I don't feel like moving receivers. So I have a huge investment in Spectrum receivers. So along that lines, you need to also check what kind of, you know, how many channels are you going to need for your planes and which brand you think you can stick with long enough to, you know, collect a lot of receivers yeah you sort of will collect after a while as you get more planes although i'll say that most of the receivers i have i bought used i almost very mm. rarely buy new ones uh on occasion i do but almost <clears throat> i scarl rc groups when i when i did need receiver usually rc groups or swap meets or something as so i pick up receivers because nowadays with electric planes <clears throat> it's, it's really hard to hurt a receiver well, is that because people are dumping their high tech because they know they're no, no, business? no, just just over the years. Even when high tech was still being produced, I would buy buy them used. I haven't had a I never bought a bad receiver. I never oh, had high, a bad luck. High tech was my choice when I was on seventy two megahertz. I mean, yeah. I yeah. had probably a good twenty plus high tech receivers. Same here. Yeah. They were my radio of choice back in the day. Yeah, those are the old ones that were Futaba compatible too. So. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I used to use it with my old Futaba. What was nine C or something like that. Oh yeah, so it, it, those are things you know. As you in the hobby for a while, you start collecting. But for a newbie, I, I wouldn't really um, to be too concerned about receivers and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I think that's the kind of stuff you end up talking to clubmates and other yeah people that have very firm. People are very brand loyal in the radio side of things. <laughs> they so, can be. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll you'll get lots of opinions and directions to to go once you get started. But for me, and while we're on the topic of radios, I always tell people there's two items that you should 
put most of your money into because they're going to give you the most versatility. And that's your transmitter and your charger. And basically, if you're going to be an electric flyer, that is not so important if you're a nitro. Yeah, but, that's another thing I tell people is try to get a good charger in the beginning if you can. Because I've seen a lot of people who they go cheap on a charger and they start upgrading planes and realize this little charger, once you get past 2S, 3S, 2200, it's it's almost useless. Yep. It takes a really long time to charge the batteries. Right. So, yeah, just like with the transmitters, I've seen a lot of people start out just getting the bare minimum. And then as soon as they decide they're going to stick with it and they want to uh, get some new planes, they have to upgrade their transmitter and their charger. Yeah. So, it stings at first, but if you want to avoid repeating buying things and most of this stuff has very little resale value so it's not like you're just gonna get your money yeah. back on it <laughs> but you wouldn't you wouldn't ask someone who's just getting the hobby to go invest in a high-end charger would you well a high-end these days is less than 100 bucks <clears throat> i mean these yeah. newer chargers the small stuff with dual ports you can get for 60 bucks <clears throat> get a receiver for that yeah just just don't you know waste your time if you can buying a little 50 watt charger get yeah. something at least a couple hundred watts you know don't get one that plugs into the cigarette port in your car yeah i have three of those <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> when's the last nope. time you used one today <laughs> we, <laughs> as a we backup have, we well we the little e-flight charger for the two and three cells uh Austin Ryan's got a little boat that uses a two cell 1200 milliamp battery so while we're driving I stick that in the back uh, lighter from the back of my truck and charge it on the way well I do the same thing I have a little charger that lives in the car and it's just a little <laughs> little 2s 3s charger for when I'm driving somewhere but it's not my main charger it's just for if I'm driving might as well charge something while I'm in route but we'll see I'm laughing because I'm about to really have Terry roll his eyes oh yeah but Terry never it. charges <laughs> Terry never charges his batteries at the field. Terry Don't always, say never. Never. Almost <laughs> never, never. Almost never. 98% <laughs> of the time, he pre-charges everything. So that's where an investment of a, you know, I guess a good charger would, would come in handy because you prep everything before you go. Me, I mean, I bring stuff with me and I just hope to do it there. And in fact, that's how, now I have a gas generator. Well, and if you look at some of the fields where I fly at now, in Texas, it was different. Like at the Johnson Space Center Club, you park right next to your pits. And a lot of the other Texas fields, your car is right there by where your planes are. All of my fields up here, it's a good 100-yard walk from the parking lot to the pit area. And so, and there's not power. So unless you want to go back and forth that 100 yards 50 times, then there's very little sense in mm, charging at the field. Or you lug a battery to the field and who wants to do that? Lee. So. <laughs> I did. There's a 12 volt battery in my car. It's a car battery to start his uh, Corsair. So that's what <laughs> I do. Well, I know I use the car battery to start the uh, solo strike. The, the solo strike, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've always said that I like to prep before I go, but I've never preached that that's the right thing to do. I think it depends on your particular flying situation, what makes more sense. Well, we towed out a little generator. Yeah, <laughs> solar panels. Hey, solar panels. Terry's charging flight batteries. I'm charging my 12 volt lead yeah. batteries, car batteries. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so did we reach any kind of conclusion on chargers? Lead descents. Fitz and I think you should buy something at least middle of the road. Yeah, Lee thinks buy what you want. I've I've changed my chargers all the time, so I've never been stuck on one. So. Right. I have I get good chargers, but I don't think I mean I've never spent more than three hundred dollars on a charger. I should wow, know. that's a lot. I'm just saying I haven't. So oh, 
I'm just saying, I don't know what kind of charger you're talking about. I think my current charger was pretty close to that, but it's a supercharger. So um, I think we should also note that a lot of them, uh, more modern batteries now, you can charge them at high rates. And so that's where a good charger comes in. Yeah. What are you grimacing and, about? Well, no, I agree, but I don't know if that's a topic to get into. No. <laughs> and maybe so. just a reminder for those listening who've never heard us before, we, I mean, we, we three mainly are electric flyers, although I've gotten kind of back into glow and Fitz has got a gas. I'm, I'm working on my course here back there. That'll be gas. So, you know, the, the stuff we're talking about really only applies to those flying a lot of electric batteries, yeah, yeah. electric aircraft. Yeah. But, you know, if you're flying a, a scale type plane on, that, on glow or gas, you're, you're, it's important to get a good charger to charge your, your ignition battery and your receiver battery and make sure you invest in quality batteries, please. Let me stress that, yeah. you know, don't don't get the cheapest batteries you can. I've I've had a friend who had a a large P fifty one at best, and he had this cheesy battery. I don't know where he got it from, but I I wouldn't have trusted it. And it went from a five cell pack down to like a one cell pack once it was in flight. He swore it was charged, but uh, I don't think he maintained it enough. So yeah. you know when you when you run those kind of flight batteries, and and we're kind of changing the technology. A lot of people are pushing either LIFE batteries or LiPo batteries with voltage regulators that might give them a little bit more uh, smooth current or longer running times. But most of the guys I know who fly those planes all day will, will fly on one charge for those batteries. But when you're flying an electric plane, it's usually, what, three or four times you charge a day to fly those planes? Because you're, of course, bringing like eight or nine planes, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, LiPos. Anyway. All right, so we covered... Airplanes, radios, chargers, that's all equipment stuff. What else is there? Talked about simulators. We talked about getting help. Why don't we leave this to our if our few listeners that are left <laughs> who are live with us? Anybody else want us to cover a specific topic that you think we've skipped or something you want us to chat about? Or what about the spiritual and mental preparation for <laughs> no? Bev food and beverage? <laughs> And are we going to write all this down and make a, a handy dandy worksheet for people to reference? <laughs> a a flowchart. There we go. Flowchart. Yeah. <laughs> the the RC roundtable flowchart. Oh gosh, it would be a can of spaghetti. <laughs> yeah, none of us agreeing on anything. That's well, good. Mm. Well, there we go. Uh, we hadn't really talked about that, and I was going to touch on it, but. Uh, uh, we had a, a viewer just say people need to join an AMA and join a club. So we want to talk about that. How long have y'all been an AMA member? I don't know. I'm sure I joined as a kid and then had a gap there, but at least the last 20 years. Oh, so. yeah. Same for me. I think uh, the late eighties when I was a, just a kid, and was for a while i think it lasts for a couple of years or so and then i joined up again so probably consistently pushing 20 something years close to 30 years okay so i'm i'm closer to 40 but i, I have a five yeah. digit ama number yeah i noticed that when i saw that the other day <laughs> i do that every now and then when i stand up for an event to see who's got the the lowest number i saw a guy with four digits so i got creamed <laughs> but i am i am an ama member academy of model aeronautics my dad wanted us to join so we could, you know, learn more, participate more, support the hobby, which I've always done. And yeah. you don't have to be an AMA member to fly an aircraft, but times are a changing. 
And not that it's going to force you to join the AMA, but this is the best time to join because like Fitz and I attended an event where you have to have an AMA license to participate. That's and pretty much any event. Except Fight Fest. <laughs> so you, did, you didn't get me saying that, but I was oh. going to lead to that. Oh. You know, most events require an AMA license. And it's not, it should never be considered a, a nuisance or a hindrance or a financial, you know, what do you call it? Uh, uh, I can't Burden. get more down. Burden, thank you. I, I, I never think of it that way. In fact, uh, I, I think of it as a safety net. I think of it as a... <laughs> I'm, I'm a member. <laughs> they, they like me. They have, they'll take me. You know, if you, if you can't afford a country club you know, membership dues, the AMA is definitely worth it. But they do a lot for our hobby. They're trying to defend our hobby, and I, that's a whole other topic to go on about what we're facing as far as you know the hobby as it used to be and what it's going to be now with drones and regulations and the FAA. But the AMA is a great organization. They put on so many wonderful events there's so like i've never been to a nats i i need to it's kind of like one of those mm. other bucket lists like going to oshkosh mm. uh but i love being able to attend these events and it's worth it so uh speaking of which every time you go to an event check out the club you're going to uh yeah. one of the nicest fields i i know is tri-county barnstormers in new waverly texas and i've been going to best one of the best electrics in south texas for why is it 17 years now uh, I don't, I, I haven't missed one yet, knock on wood, but the, the club members are great. The field is great. There is so much fun to be had. And if you got into this hobby and that field was near you, you should join. So, you know, you got to drive around poor Terry, our buddy, Terry, he's had a most difficult time uh, settling down to a club because they keep, you know, they keep moving the runway. <laughs> <laughs> Who moved my cheese? <laughs> well, I, my, interpretation of what you just said is that even if you're not going to events, even if you're not flying at a club, um, I think it's beneficial to join the AMA, number one, because you're, you're going to get the insurance policy. And I think that's the bulk of your annual dues. But uh, aside from all that, if you're not part of the mainstream RC crowd, which is fine, you're still enjoying the benefits of what the AMA is doing with the government. So you're still getting the freedom to, to fly in the places that we can still fly. So I think it only makes sense to contribute to that effort monetarily. So if nothing else, I think a membership makes sense for that purpose. But yeah. for me, I mean, I, I join clubs, I go to events, I, I do it for all the, the, the top bulleted reasons. So uh, not joining is never an option for me. Yeah, I think most clubs that I know of require an AMA license because of insurance purposes uh, yeah. for their, for their field, their facilities and the people that are there. So when you do join the AMA, who hopefully will join a club, you need to put both of those prices together because that's your annual fee, your club right. and your AMA license. <clears throat> the good thing is, uh, I don't know the age. It's, gosh, it's probably 16. But I think if you're under the age of 16, there is no fee for junior AMA members because I have licenses for both Ryan and, and Austin, and it's waived. So hmm. get, right. get your children involved. Fitz. Good point. I'm going to add on to that, Fitz. Don't think there's anything else I can add to it. Okay. We responded to someone asking about what if there's, you know, no facility in your field. And I like what you responded. Go to a local hobby shop. You know, they'll know. And, yeah. you know, yeah. guess what? Right here. That, that, I was going to say, that's how I found the clubs that I have found up here. So 
the local hobby shop has kind of a portal that has information and contact um, data for the local clubs. It, that was my resource. Yeah, I want to add on to that. That happened to me uh, when I um, moved to South Carolina. Well, my parents did, and I kind of trailed in later. They went to this little podunk town in South Carolina, um, <laughs> out in the middle of the country. There's nothing out there. Um, and uh, and as a model flyer, I was like, man, who, where do I fly? I was flying sort of at a, a side of a, a company, just a field, a lot, inside of this factory or something. But I had no idea who anybody was around. So I actually went to the hobby store. Now, the hobby store was a good 40-minute drive away. It wasn't even anywhere near the town. And I went to the hobby store. I said, hey, I live in this little town here. Does anybody fly models up near where I live? And the person in the hobby store goes, oh, yeah, that guy right over there. <laughs> and I turned around, and this guy just happened to be in the hobby store, and he lived in the same town. Oh, cool. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, we fly. We fly this old farm field. This farmer lets us use this field uh, just to fly off of, and as long as we mow the grass or whatever. He just lets us fly. We're not even an established club. We're just a bunch of guys that, that live in a town to get together. And, um, and that was the start of a really long, uh, continuing today, friendship with this guy. And he still lives in that town, and they still fly, at, not the same field, but they still do some flying and stuff. And so you never know. So you may think you're out in the middle of nowhere with nobody around. But you might be just surprised that there's actually people out there flying. They just maybe a little bit off the grid, but they're out there. In the shadows. In the shadows. The yeah. shadows. I want to add, years ago. add to Fitz's response about going to your local hobby shop. Also, go on the internet. Uh, RC Groups is a great website that I peruse all the time. You can do a quick shout out. I mean, there's tons of, I want to say moderators. I mean, there's only a handful of moderators that work for RC groups, but there are a lot of guys out there that just sit there and they'll, they'll scan the headlines. And if you you know reach out and say, Hey, I'm, I'm new to this city. Can you help me out? Well, uh, you'll get a lot of responses. Yeah. RC groups. That could be a whole other show too. <laughs> I think there was a time 15 years ago when it was super duper helpful for people, especially people who are trying to get into electrics. Now I would say just take everything you read with a grain of salt and kind of average out because there's a lot of self-proclaimed experts who may or may not give you good information. So uh, we had this conversation offline yesterday. I, I don't go there that much anymore. It's just, um, it's too flooded for me. There's a bow wave of information sometimes. Some good, some bad. You got to filter out the bad. Yeah, that's a good point. And if, you, if people are, this is the internet age, so you're going to go online and learn about stuff. And it is do. It's very prudent to take a lot of stuff you see online with a grain of salt sometimes, and really do your research and try to get backup information. What do you call it? Uh, alternate sources yeah. <laughs> for something. Because, yeah, there are a lot of armchair experts or keyboard experts that don't have a clue what they're talking about. Fake R fake RC news. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to drag RC groups under the bus because there, there's still a lot of good information there. But like, but I guess as it's got more popular, it's just a numbers game. You're going to get more and more people on there who think they know what they're talking about or or miss, have a lot of misconceptions or may not be accurate in your particular situation. So it's just... It, you know, yeah. it's, you got to weed through it, you know. All right. So I, I listed one site. Are there any other sites you guys go to to get information or are you just Googling it? There's others like that. Motion RC has Hobby Squawk and Flight Test has their own forums. So there's all sorts of more specified websites. RC Universe is still around, right? Yeah, they're still so, around. Yeah. Pick your poison. 
Yeah, there's still forums flying. Yeah. So, yeah, just the information's out there. You can get it. YouTube, don't forget YouTube. There's lots of stuff on YouTube. Uh, and as it being a visual medium, you can see how things are set up and see reviews, get people's opinions. Um, I think it's a little bit harder to fake it when you're on YouTube because, you know, it's easy to be scrutinized. <laughs> Your circles are in backwards or something, you know. <laughs> well, and Steve Wattenberg just got on and he mentioned Facebook. We really haven't touched about, touched on that, even though we have a Facebook page. No one said RC Roundtable. <laughs> RC Roundtable. Uh, yeah. so vain. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, a, we're a plethora of news articles. Yeah, there's a lot of little subgroups on Facebook. You Did know? you see that M262? Close call. I saw that on RC Round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Facebook. Now a lot of people have some aversion to using Facebook, but you can still look at it as a visitor on a lot of on a lot of sites. And there's a lot of there's probably an, an apprentice appreciation group for all we know, or the uh, uh, senorita appreciation group, or <laughs> who knows what. <laughs> the glider appreciation. So yeah, there's a lot of subgroups. So if you get a particular plane, you can look on Facebook, and there's probably a group dedicated to either that plane or that subclass of plane or something like that. So. All right, it's, it's 146 central time. Yeah, lunch <laughs> is over. What is that in Greenwich time? <laughs> Who knows? Oh, yeah, Zulu, Zulu I, time. I, I guess I'll apologize for screwing that whole thing up, but we're gonna have to come up uh, with some other kind. Of well, yeah, thanks for setting us straight, George. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, for anybody who doesn't know, on the Facebook announcement for this, you put what central standard time. It's just a habit, CSD. And then, yeah, so then George posts, how is that compared to Central Daylight Time? And dumb me, I just assumed they were the same, and I made some smart alecky comment. He's like, no, they're, they're actually different. So I looked it up, and by golly, he was right. Like, <laughs> so, it has to do with Daylight Savings. So, so I don't know. next time, I'll just say soon. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> Galactic time. Star dates. Yeah. yeah. Star oh, yeah, star dates. Okay. <laughs> what is right now starting? Uh, All right. So, so let's put a pretty bow on this. Wrap it up. Well, first off, thanks everybody who uh, uh, stuck around the extra 20 minutes for, from the start time. The title uh, of the show, Blame Lee. Oh, I, I actually called it Late Lunch. That's what it's called on the thing. Uh, but thanks, for guys, for sticking around. Thanks for those who uh, interacted with us, gave us comments. Mark from uh, Old School Model Works, uh, Glenn, Steve, Mike. Michael was in there. Paul, I just saw that there. Thank you, guys. Appreciate yeah. you all tuning in. Obviously, we'll have this on our podcast, so that means nothing for you guys who are listening on the road <laughs> and driving around. Uh, but do interact with us. Do uh, contact us on our Facebook page, or you can email us at contact at rcroundtable.com. We kind of threw this together because we knew that's that's how we that's how we roll, guys. We just start talking, and we want to hear what each of us has to say. But if there's one particular topic you want us to cover, something that we could kind of dig deep and you know stay in it for 30 plus minutes, let us know. Uh, I'm I'm sure just having this conversation with these guys and not prepping for it at all, there are other things I'm, I'm thinking about we should push in the future. But we also want to get some some guests on our show. So if there's anybody you'd like us to bring on the show, we have some ideas that we've uh, talked around, tossed around. And uh, yeah, ideas. So we've had some <laughs> thoughts. How's that better? For, <laughs> Is that the British spelling of idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Schedule. We're <laughs> scheduling them. Uh, so we do have some ideas of, of who we'd like to bring on. But if you guys uh, think of some people that you'd like us to chat with, uh, especially as an RC company that might uh, make a product that you'd like them to share more about, that, that'd be great. That would help us out. Yeah, we want to get the people to get exposure. We want to hear interesting stories and learn about new things and great stuff in the hobby. 
So if you're new to the hobby, go buy an apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> there's your there's your summary. <laughs> there's your bow, Terry. <laughs> there was another play called a sensei. Is that still made? I don't know. It was like a yeah. that's very similar. Yeah, I have like one. A... And they had some with the stabilization system too. Yeah, I know it was sort of the apprentice competitor, but anyways. We need to have the cane come out of the side of the screen and pull you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Look, squirrel. Da, 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 da. <laughs> All right. I guess uh, we'll wrap things up for this episode, of RC Roundtable, our YouTube edition. Uh, thanks, guys, for joining us online. It was great interacting with you. We need to do this more often. And uh, we will uh, look forward to hearing any additional thoughts. Please uh, leave us a link, uh, or not link, a, a note on our Facebook page. And I guess we'll see you next time. Any last words from you guys? Bye. 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 Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts. Where you also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening.